0: Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The subject matter of uh, our study this morning is entitled the, uh, the Alpha and the Omega. Of course, in the scriptures we know that uh, Christ is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. But today we're not going to talk specifically about Christ as such, but we're going to talk about an Alpha and Omega of heresy actually. We're going to be looking at some history, some important history, particularly in relation to uh, what has been happening in the Adventist church. And we're going to see how that history actually is the root and the foundation of a lot of the problems that exist today, as far as the understanding about God and what is common today. So we're going to be doing some history lesson, and it's very important that what's happening today, in order for it to be truly understood, it needs to be seen in its historical context. We need to see the roots in order to actually understand what the fruit looks like. So this is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking back uh, back at history a little bit, examining what has led up to the situation that we have today. Because today, as you understand, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of controversy over the issue of God and who God is and the Godhead and the Trinity and all these aspects. Well, there's a reason why this problem exists today. So we're going to explore that and see if we can find that together. And maybe it'll uh, help explain things. And once it explains things, hopefully it'll help us to avoid this alpha and omega of deadly heresies. We're dealing with something here that's, that's quite serious. So in the Bible, we're told, uh, Solomon tells us that uh, history has a habit of repeating itself, uh, itself. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 and 10. He says, the thing that has been, it is that which shall be, and that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It has been already of all time, which was before us. And you know the saying, of course, that history repeats itself. Well, here the wise man is the one who said that right here. There is things that repeat. There's no new thing under the sun. In order to understand what's happening now, all we have to do is look in the past. It will help us understand what is happening now. And so this is why we want to see why is there so much agitation and debate today about this issue. You see, this is not happening by accident. This is not some random occurrence. This is not some distraction that is uh, coming at us. This is actually something that has been prophesied. And there is a reason why that is taking place. So uh, in looking at this... uh, We'll, we'll do a fair bit of reading from the spirit of prophecy to help lay the groundwork. And, and this statement here, you might be familiar with it from Selected Messages, book one, page 200. It says, in the book Living Temple, there is presented the Alpha of Deadly Heresies. The Omega will follow and will be received by those who are not willing to heed the warning God has given. And this is where the title of our study comes from, the Alpha and the Omega of Deadly Heresies. And here we're told by Sister White that this Alpha of Deadly Heresies is contained in a book called The Living yeah. Temple. We're going to look at that a little bit, but we'll just look at this quote in its, in its background. And the warning here is very, very clear. If we do not heed the warning about the Alpha, then we are very likely to fall for the Omega of Deadly Heresies. Can you see that? That's what it says right there. Those who are not willing to heed the warnings God has given will receive this omega of deadly heresies. Sadly, brothers and sisters, today this, has, this prophecy has come to pass. It has happened. And we want to see how that has happened and what led to that. And hopefully learn the warning and avoid falling for the omega and warn others that they might not fall for the miracle, or if they have to come out of that. So this is the, the warning. Now, of course, the book Liv- Living Temple was uh, written by Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. Uh, he was a very famous uh, physician, not just uh, famous in the Adventist church, but he was famous in, in the circles of medicine in the world. Uh, uh, he was in charge of the Battle Creek Sanitarium. And in the Battle Creek Sanitarium, uh, unfortunately, had a very tragic accident where it burned to the ground in the year 1902. Uh, thankfully, no one died, but uh, as a result of that, uh, they needed to raise some funds for the, for the new building, and so Dr. Ka- uh, Kellogg uh, decided to write a book called The Living Temple, and in this book, uh, he would it was to be a book about physio- physiology and health, uh, but the sales of the book would generate income that would go towards building the new sanitarium which is a very great idea because if he was a famous doctor obviously then a lot of people would want to buy the book. Very smart, clever idea. But uh, unfortunately, Dr. Kellogg had adopted some theological understandings about God that he just couldn't keep out of that book, that he inserted into this book. And this is the book that Ellen White was referring to in the quote that we just read. And so his theology and his understanding about God that he inserted in this book was uh, simply this, that God is not an actual person who is a physical, tangible being, that God is this essence that pervades everything. You familiar with that idea? It's, uh, it's what the New Age believes today. That, uh, Sorry, pantheism. Thank you. That's exactly right. It's uh, that God is in everything, which is that's the term for it. Pantheism. And uh, of course, uh, Dr. Kellogg did that in a very uh, clever, beautiful way that God was in every living thing and in the flowers and in the trees and and that we're all really part of God. What he had done was he he had really destroyed the true Bible picture that God has presented about himself. And he inserted all that in the book. So the book was very problematic. And that's why we have some of these warnings from the spirit of prophecy about what he was uh, teaching and what he was saying. We'll read just a few just to get an idea for ourselves. In the uh, in Ministry of Healing, uh, the Sermon of the Lord here gives us this, this warning. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. The revelation of himself that God has given in his word is for our study this we may seek to understand but beyond this we are not to penetrate and that's exactly what Kellogg was doing he wasn't stopping where God had given the information and understanding that he had gone beyond he began to speculate and say you know what actually God is in all these things God this this essence that pervades all things he's not in one place more than any other place he's everywhere equally in everything obviously that belief followed to its logical conclusion will lead to things like nature worship because if God is in the tree and in the flower then uh, you can worship that or worshiping even human beings with anything you, you see what I'm saying and these are the seeds that Kellogg put into that book and so this is why mrs. White gives these warnings and Loma Linda messages Uh, She says the teaching regarding God that is presented in Living Temple is not such as our students need. Those who express such sentiments regarding him show that they are departing from the faith. That's a very serious warning and that's written in the same year that that book was published. So there was this controversy that was happening in the early 1900s over this book, The Living Temple and what was contained in it. The view that Kellogg had about God, Mrs. White clearly said this is very wrong. It's something that we don't need. It's actually a departure from the faith. That's how serious that was. It was a very serious situation. If you're familiar with a little bit of the history, you'll you'll be aware of that. But just if we're not, we want to look at that background because what happened then is actually what helps us to understand what is going on today. And that's why it's vital for us to understand what happened then, what the issues really were. Here's another one from Special Testimonies, uh, Series B. She says, here, referring to Kellogg, has not known whether his feet were tending. But in his recent writings, his tendencies toward pantheism have been revealed. And that's exactly what he was teaching in that book. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's true. His pantheism was wrong. And and, uh, we don't believe that today. Nobody believes that today. So we're going to see if that's true or not, because that's a very, very serious warning. Uh, obviously, Kellogg, as we said, we discussed, uh, that's what he was teaching. Uh, his book got a lot of negative publicity from uh, Sister White, so he decided to do something to try and deal with that negative publicity. You know, Obviously, if you're a member in the church and you read that warning from Sister White, would you go buy in the book uh, and read it? Obviously not. So Kellogg wasn't happy about that, so he decided to do something. He actually changed or modified his view and what he was actually trying to say in the book. And one day he had a discussion with the general conference president at the time, which was A.G. Daniels, and, uh, and this discussion with A.G. Daniels, Kellogg was actually telling him that uh, he, he'd, he'd modified his belief because he had gotten so much heat from Sister White, so to speak, he, he wanted to, to try and make it uh, fit or work out. And this conversation that he had with Daniels alarmed the general conference pre- president so much that he decided to write a letter to Willie White, that's Ellen White's son, uh, and express his concerns about this conversation he had with Kellogg and what Kellogg was planning to do. And this is the letter that he wrote to, to Willie White, and this is what he actually says in the letter. He says, ever since the council closed, I have felt that I should write to you confidentially regarding Dr. Kellogg's plans for revising and republishing the Living Temple. So that's what Dr. Kellogg wanted to do, revise and republish. In other words, change a few things and publish a new edition. He, Kellogg, said that some days before coming to the council, he had been thinking the matter over and began to see that he had made a slight mistake in expressing his views. He then stated that his former views regarding the Trinity had stood in his way of making a clear and absolutely correct statement, but that within a short time he had come to believe in the Trinity and could now see pretty clearly where all the difficulty was, and believed that he could clear the matter up satisfactorily. He told me that he now believed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and his view was that it was God the Holy Ghost, and not God the Father, that filled all space and every living thing. He said that if he had believed this before writing the book, he could have expressed his views without giving some of the wrong impressions the book now gives. I placed before him the objections I found in the teaching and tried to show him that the teaching was so utterly contrary to the gospel that I did not see how it could be revised by changing a few expressions. Now that's quite a revealing letter. So to summarize, I think it's quite clear, but to summarize it, Kellogg basically said, okay, okay, okay. I'm not trying to say that uh, God is in everything. Okay, God the Father and God the Son, they're both in heaven. But God the Spirit, that's what I'm talking about. God the Holy Ghost is the one that's everywhere. And he says, because I didn't believe in the Trinity before, I couldn't express it this way. But now I've come to believe in the Trinity. And this is really what I'm trying to say in the book. This should bring it into harmony with what Mrs. White says. This is basically the essence of his conversation with Daniel. So Kellogg had modified his belief. He had come to believe in the Trinity, according to his own admission, as reported by Daniels. He believed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And he wanted to revise and republish his book to incorporate this updated understanding. And his belief, as we said, was there was God the Holy Ghost... That pervaded and permeated every living thing. He said, okay, I'll admit, okay, there is the Father and the Son there in heaven. He didn't believe that before. He just thought that God was everywhere. But he could not uh, deal with this warning. And so he had to modify things a little bit. Come to believe in the Trinity. Interestingly enough, Mrs. Mrs. White makes some comments about this revised position. This is actually what she says in Selected Messages, Book 1 said it will be said that living temple has been revised but the Lord has shown me that the writer has not changed and that there can be no unity between him and the ministers of the gospel while he continues to cherish his present sentiments I am bidden to lift my voice in warning to our people saying be not deceived God is not mocked so in other words this is why I said it's the same thing hasn't changed Modifying that and incorporating the Trinity and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit amounts to the same thing. The writer has not changed and actually she advises ministers to have nothing to do with him as he was holding these present sentiments and this present sentiment is what he had expressed to Elder Daniels, A.G. Daniels. Now do you see a problem here? It's a very very serious problem because Today, there are a lot of people who actually subscribe to the same belief that Kellogg had revised his teaching to. And Sister White says here he hasn't changed. In other words, it's still pantheistic. And we're going to see how that is the case a little later. But that's important to keep in mind, that even though Kellogg had revised things, he hadn't changed. He told him, you are not definitely clear on the personality of God, which is everything to us as a people. You have virtually destroyed the Lord God himself. So Kellogg's teaching destroys the personality of God. We're going to see how that happens. Now, this is not the only place where all this uh, is mentioned. There's a lot of information about this. and I just tried to pick just a sample so, so we can get a clear picture. Here's another one from book one, Selected Messages. In the controversy that arose among our brethren regarding the teachings of this book, those in favor of giving it a wide circulation declared it contains the very sentiments that Sister White has been teaching. This assertion struck right to my heart, I felt heartbroken, for I knew that this representation of the matter was not true." So what was happening? People were on Kellogg's side who were for the book, some people were not, and the people who were promoting the book were saying, you know what? What Kellogg is teaching is actually exactly what Mrs. White says. And so they tried to use the spirit of prophecy to support this teaching in the book. And obviously to support the revised position of Kellogg that he had come to believe. Now this whole matter of the living temple and the whole issue really boils down to something very specific. What Kellogg's view was regarding the personality and presence of God. This is what the whole controversy was all about. Actually his own words he summarizes it for us. And this is very important to understand because this is the principal point of the Alpha of Deadly Heresies. If we neglect the warning about that, we will fall for the Omega. In order to understand the Omega of Deadly Heresies, we need to understand what the real issue was in the Alpha. And Kellogg himself actually tells us what the real issue is. He summarizes the whole problem. One day he was complaining to Brother Butler, and he wrote a letter of uh, expressing his his sentiments to him. This This is how he said it. He says, as far as I can fathom, the difficulty which is found in the Living Temple The whole thing may be simmered down to the question, is the Holy Ghost a person? You say no. I had supposed the Bible said this for the reason that the personal pronoun he is used in speaking of the Holy Ghost. Sister White uses the pronoun he and has said in so many words that the Holy Ghost is the third person of the Godhead. How the Holy Ghost can be the third person and not be a person at all is difficult for me To see. So you see, according to Kellogg here, he says the whole issue is over this belief that I have about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. I believe it to be a person. A person different to the Father and the Son because he had believed it to be God, the Holy Ghost. Remember he said he accepted the doctrine of the Trinity. He believed that this God, the Holy Ghost was everywhere. This person, it's not the Father, it's not the Son, this person, this being that is just pure spirit, this just pervades everything, called God the Holy Spirit. And he said to uh, Butler here, he says, you know, you don't say that, you say no, because the church at the time believed differently. I'm going to see what the church believed. And then he uses the argument and says, you know what? The Bible calls it he, and Sister White said, he's the third person of the Godhead. So he was using statements from the spirit of prophecy to support his belief in God the Holy Spirit, a person Besides the father and the son According to his own admission and he says this is what the whole issue is that he's trying to express Can we see that clearly now brothers and sisters? This is very significant because most people don't realize this issue when it comes to the alpha of deadly heresies All the focus is on the pantheism part We're going to see what the connection between what Kellogg is saying here and pantheism really is but this uh, this uh, charge that Mrs. White uh, teaches the same thing. Let's see what she had to say in light of that or in response to that. Selected messages, book one. I'm compelled to speak in denial of the claim that the teachings of living temple can be sustained by statements from my writings. There may be in this book expressions and sentiments that are in harmony with my writings. And there may be in my writings many statements which taken from their connection and interpreted according to the mind of the writer of the Living Temple, would seem to be in harmony with the teachings of this book. This may give the apparent support to the assertion that the sentiments in Living Temple are in harmony with my writings, but God forbid that this sentiment should prevail. In other words, she's saying, I know there might be some statements that are taken out of context and interpreted by Kellogg, To support his teaching. But that is not the case. God forbid. Now which statement was Kellogg using. To support his belief in the Trinity. And God the Holy Spirit. The statement that says. The third person of the God. We just read that right. Do you know anyone who is doing the same thing today. That's a lot of people. That's exactly what Kellogg was doing. Mrs. White says. That is not what I mean. That is not what I'm trying to say. Very, very interesting. Well, what is she trying to mean? What does she actually say? Let's have a look at, uh, where are we, let's keep going. What did she mean by third person? Because this is uh, used a lot today. I want to briefly touch on that. And then we'll go into a little bit more detail. This is a statement that Kellogg was referring to. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the, God, and people say, there you go, that's the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. He is the third person. Person number three. Not the Father, not the Son, but this God the Holy Spirit. Who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of divine power. It is the Spirit that makes effectual what has been rolled out by the world's Redeemer. It is by the Spirit that the heart is made pure. Through the spirit, the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature. Christ has given his spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress his own character upon
1: his church.
0: So from the same statement, it actually says that the third person of the God is referred to also as the spirit of Christ. Christ has given his spirit. And the key here, she says, this is the only way that sin could be resisted. Through the agency of the third person of the Godhead. Now, if we allow her to explain what she means, rather than interpreting it in our own way, it actually makes it very easy. It's very plain. Let's keep going. The only defense, this is from uh, Zerah of Ages, same book. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of who? Christ. Of Christ. So on one side, she says, the only the sin can only be resisted through the third person of the Godhead. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of? Christ. In other words, the third person of the Godhead, according to Ellen White, is the indwelling of Christ. I'm not saying that. She is. That's according to her own explanation. That's not what Kellogg was doing. Kellogg was saying, see, third person is God, the Holy Spirit. Not Christ, not the Father. Can you see the problem? And this is why Mrs. White says, when you do that, you destroy what I'm trying to say. I don't mean what this uh, writer is trying to say that I mean. Here's another one. Christ tells us that the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, and the Comforter is the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of Truth, which the Father shall send in my name. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ, called the Comforter. So the Comforter, or the Holy Ghost, or the third person of the Godhead, is the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ. That's different to what Kellogg had come to believe. And this is why Mrs. White uh, you know, said, no, this, this is a problem here. My writings do not support what this man is trying to say. And so this is what she says. It is not safe to trust in Dr. Kellogg. I dare not do it. I have not written to him much recently, but I may have to send something soon. I have not the least confidence in his present attitude toward many things. I learned that notwithstanding all I have written regarding the living temple, a book that was written under the inspiration of the arch deceiver, notwithstanding with many plain messages that I have delivered in the Review and Herald and in letters to our brethren in responsibility, Dr. Kellogg now admits only a few of the mistakes he has made and still supposes that in former years, I taught the same errors. This reveals a blindness beyond conception. That's very serious, isn't it? She says Satan was inspiring Kellogg in what he was writing and teaching and even though Kellogg changed and said no no now I believe in the trinity in God the holy spirit and God the father and God the son this is why he says the writer has not changed in other words he is still under the same source of inspiration and in order to palm off his belief he was using the spirit of prophecy twisting some of the statements to try and support his teaching and Ellen White said no that is not what I mean Now, this is very serious, brothers and sisters, because the same thing is happening today among us. Exactly the same thing. So a lot of people today believe that Ellen White was a Trinitarian. They say she believed in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, because that's what most people believe today. So we need to ask ourselves some questions, because if so, how dare she rebuke Kellogg for bringing it to light? Because at the time, the church didn't believe that. And we had come to believe that the General Conference president was so alarmed, he actually wrote to Willie White and said, look, we have a problem here. Mrs. White says the book is revised and republished. That's the same problem. Was it God who told her to rebuke Kellogg? Of course. Clearly. And if so, then how could God do that and inspire her to oppose him if Kellogg was teaching the truth when it came to the things he said about the Trinity? See a problem here we have today? A very serious contradiction. In other words, if Ellen White really believed in the Trinity, then that would make her a false prophet because she was rebuking Kellogg who believed that. That's what he admitted. So we want to see it from her own writings and want to understand this a little bit better. She says here in uh, sermons and talks, Our ministers must be very careful not to enter into controversy in regard to the personality of God. This is a subject that they're not to touch. It is a mystery, and the enemy will surely lead astray, those who enter into it. We know that Christ came in person to reveal God to the world. God is a person, and Christ is a person. Christ is spoken of in the word as the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his person. What she's referring to here is all these arguments that Kellogg was using when it came to trying to explain the personality and the presence of God. So she emphasizes God is a person, Christ is a person. So Kellogg said, okay, okay. I'll I'll acknowledge that. I admit that. But what I'm referring to is this other person called God, the Holy Spirit, that's everywhere. And this is what the issue was about. I was forbidden, here's another one, to talk with Dr. Kellogg on this subject because it is not a subject to be talked about. And I was instructed that certain sentiments in Living Temple were the alpha of a long list of deceptive theories. So what he started in the book Alpha was a long list. So there's other things that come in this long list of deceptive theories. Kellogg took that to the next level, and he admitted that he had come to believe in the Trinity, in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is part of this long list of deceptive theories. And the list continues till today. So we want to see what exactly was happening as far as this was concerned. What did the church believe at the time when it came to the question of the Holy Spirit? We'll just look at a few examples. This is Uriah Smith. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, it is also the Spirit of Christ. This one is from E.J. Wagner. Here we find that the Holy Spirit is both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. This is from uh, Loughborough. We learn from this language that when we speak of the Spirit of God, we're really speaking of His presence and power. So this is uh, J. N. and Loughborough. So all these brethren were in agreement in their understanding and in their teaching that the Spirit is not some other person besides the Father and the Son. It's the Spirit of God, Is the Spirit of Christ. It's really the personality and presence of God in Christ, as we shall see. Now, this teaching is not something that they, uh, you know, came up with. That's what the Scripture says, what the Spirit of Prophecy teaches. Here it is, signs of the times. The Divine Spirit that the world's Redeemer promised to send is the presence and power of God. Kellogg was teaching... That the presence and power of God is another person called God, the Holy Spirit, that is present in everything and everywhere. And Mrs. White says, that's an alpha of a long list of deadly heresies. It's pantheistic teachings. And so this is where the confusion was, as far as Kellogg was concerned. So if we were to ask the question, when God gives us his Holy Spirit, is he giving us himself or Someone else. What would the right answer be? And and how would Kellogg answer? It's Someone else, another person called God the Holy Spirit. And here's what Sister White says. In giving us the Spirit, God gives us himself, making himself a fountain of divine influence to give health and life to the world. See what was happening? Kellogg was separating between God and his Spirit. Rather than acknowledging that God's Spirit is his own person, his own presence, his own power, he said, no, no, it is another person. That's what he said to Butler was the whole issue when it came to the living temple. Here's another one. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh proveneth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Christ is not here referring to his doctrine, but to his person, the divinity of his character. This is a very significant statement. When Christ was talking about the Spirit, the servant of the Lord says here, he was talking about, not his teaching or doctrine, but he was talking about his person. The divinity of his character. know, there's a lot of discussion today saying, oh, the Holy Spirit is a person or it's not a person. And you people say it's not a person. We're saying it's a person. The issue is this, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is a person. The question is, is it a different person to the Father and the Son, or is it their own person? You with me? According to the Sermon of the Lord, he says, when Christ was talking about the Spirit, he's talking about his own person, his own presence, not someone else. The Holy Spirit is not someone else besides the Father and the Son. That's the problem where Kellogg was going. And this is why he says, my writings do not support this. And he said, but hold on, you said the third person of the Godhead. And we read what that meant, and we'll see a little bit more. You see, you see the issue here? This lays the foundation, brothers and sisters, to understand why we have a problem today. Here's another statement from of Ages. While Jesus ministers in the sanctuary above, he is still by his spirit the minister of the church on earth. He is withdrawn from the eye of sense, but his parting promise is fulfilled. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. According to this statement, how many ministers are there? Only one, right? It is Christ. He's ministering on how many fronts? Two Two fronts. In heaven and on earth. And how he does it on earth is by his spirit. Kellogg would teach, no, 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 no. His spirit on earth is called God the Holy Spirit. Which would produce how many ministers or how many intercessors? Two. Christ and the? God the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible tells us very plainly there's only... One mediator. That's what that statement says. Mrs. White says this is how Christ fulfills his promise. I am with you always. Even though he's not physically here with us. His spirit. His own presence. His very own person. Not someone else. Is how he ministers on the church for, uh, for the church on earth. And so Kellogg was teaching different. Mrs. White says those who don't heed the warning of the Alpha. Will receive the Omega of heresies. If I were to tell you today. We have more than one intercessor. Would that be true or false? That would be false. But do you know that the belief that Kellogg had forces him to logically come up with the only conclusion of there are two intercessors. You know that this is what a lot of people believe today? Let me give you an illustration of that because
1: it's important to see that for ourselves. The Spirit Himself intercedes. Well, how can the Spirit intercede? Because He's a person, and not just a person. He's God. Jesus intercedes. Jesus' intercession is equal to the Spirit's, but different. Distinguishable, but not divisible. I want to say that again. The, the intercession of the Spirit and the intercession of Jesus are distinguishable, but they're not divisible. This is what Jesus is doing. He's pleading his blood. This is what the spirit is doing. But both are absolutely essential.
0: You with me on that? Okay. This is not Kellogg's days anymore. This is current day. So according to this, how many intercessors are there? Two. Do you think that's a problem? That's a very major problem. Now we're going to keep going because that's what Kellogg had come to believe. This is a logical conclusion to that belief. It forces you to believe that there's more than one intercessor, that Christ is not enough. You know, that's not too far removed from the Catholics who have a whole heap of other intercessors, dead people, saints, that are between us and Christ. Anything or anyone that comes between us and Christ, brothers and sisters, that's a very serious problem. Here's a review in Herald. Mrs. White says, Christ declared that after his ascension, he would send to his church as his crowning gift, the comforter who would take his place. This comforter is the Holy Spirit, the soul of his life, the efficacy of his church, the light and life of the world. With his spirit, Christ sends a reconciling influence and a power to take away sin. Question, is the soul of the life of Jesus a different person to him? That's impossible. This is what she calls the third person of the Godhead, according to her own explanation. Here's another one, Uh, Southern Watchman, uh, October 25. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work, teaching, reminding, testifying, coming to the soul as a divine comforter, convincing of sin, and an appointed judge and guide. Christ was the Spirit of truth. Praise the Lord. Jesus has not left us and sent someone else. He is the Spirit of truth. Kellogg came to the conclusion that no, 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 no. This is God, the Holy Spirit, someone else. And Mrs. White says, listen, this is the alpha of a long list of heresies. That belief is going to lead you into dangerous paths. Hopefully, I want to illustrate to you some of the dangerous paths that this belief leads to. But we need to look at the foundation a little bit. Then we can appreciate what the problem really is like. Here's another one. There are two spirits in the world. The spirit of God and the spirit of Satan. We are not left to be guided by uncertainty of feelings nor by the deceptive spirit of error. Two spirits in the world, Spirit of God and Spirit of Satan. Question, is the Spirit of Satan a different person to Satan? Do you believe that? When, when it says the Spirit of Satan is another, you, you think, oh, well, there is Satan, but then his spirit here is, is another one. That's, that's really, see, that's foolish. By the looks on your faces, this guy doesn't know his son. But why do we do that when it comes to the Spirit of God? But that's what people do. They say, Spirit of God, oh, oh, the Spirit of God, this is someone else. This is God, the Holy Spirit. That's very inconsistent. Here's another one. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, which is sent to all men to give them sufficiency, that through His grace we might be complete in Him. You see, when we look at the entire writings of Ellen White, rather than looking at one statement, which can, she said, can be taken out of its context and interpreted in a way to suit certain teachings, if we look at what everything she says, and this is not everything, it's just a sample, but it's clear enough, brothers and sisters, why do people not quote these statements when they talk about the Holy Spirit? They just camp on the third person of the Godhead. That's it. It's like the only statement she wrote on the topic. That's what Kellogg was doing to teach what he was teaching. Here's more, the Holy Spirit is the comforter as the personal presence of who? Of Christ to the soul, in the home missionary, 1893. And so this begs the question then, who is your comforter? Well, it depends what theology of God you believe. If you believe the truth, then your conclusion would be obviously Christ. If you believe like Kellogg, then who would be your comforter? Someone other than Christ called God the Holy Spirit. That's what most people believe today, brothers and sisters. Mrs. White is not confused about that. She says, there is no comforter like Christ, so tender and so true. The Savior is our comforter. This I have proved him to be. She's talking here, not about some theory anymore. This is now experience. She says, I have proved him to be that. As by faith we look to Jesus, our faith pierces the shadow and we adore God for his wondrous love in giving Jesus the Comforter. That's not a very common expression that's used today. Jesus the Comforter. All the credit of Jesus being the Comforter, all that credit goes to someone else today. Someone called God the Holy Spirit, right? That's very, very sad. It's very dangerous. Because you think about it. Christ came as a man. He went through trials. He went through temptations. He went through experiences all on our behalf. He finally died on the cross on our behalf. And he did all this so that he could leave and then send someone else. What good is that? What is the benefit of Christ obtaining all this experience and then leaving us and sending someone else that never experienced humanity, never experienced temptation, never overcame sin, never dealt with Satan the way that Christ did as a man. Do you see the problem here? Mm-hmm. We have adopted today a theology that has removed Christ from us practically and given us someone else. This is why it's important to, when we look at this, is not just look at the theory of oh, what's this argument, what supports this one, and what are the uh, verses or statements that might support this argument. Practically, what does it look like in our practical experience? Who do we have today as our comforter? Is it Christ or is it someone else? That's the question. I think the answer is very clear. And the reason here is given very clear in this interesting statement. The reason why the churches are weak and sickly are ready to die is that the enemy of souls has brought in influences of a discouraging nature to bear upon trembling souls. He has sought to shut Jesus from their view as the comforter. As the one who reproves, who warns, who admonishes them, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. How has Satan shut Jesus from our view as a comforter? By giving us another different comforter to Christ. Someone called God the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't matter what name or what title that you might give to this comforter. If it's anyone other than Christ himself, we have a problem. It actually says that's the reason why we are sick and uh, weak and sickly and ready to die. Because Satan has deceived us into adopting a position that shuts Jesus from our view. I've talked to people, you know, they say, you know, well, Christ is ministering in the sanctuary above. I ask them the question, well, well who's, who's our comforter? It's not Christ. He says, no, no, Christ is working, doing something else. God the Holy Spirit is our comforter here. That is tragic, brothers and sisters. And yet it is so common. That when you bring it to people's attention, they think you're saying something really dangerous. Say, whoa, 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 brother, be careful now. What are you talking about, you know? That's how Satan has been successful. Anyway, we better keep going. Uh, One of the arguments a lot of people use uh, when it comes to this is people say, look, you know, what you're saying about the Holy Spirit, and you're trying to say that uh, God, the Holy Spirit, is not not what we're saying. You know, you need to be careful because... uh, there is this unpardonable sin, brother. And if you reject the Holy Spirit as God, the Holy Spirit, then you just might be committing the unpardonable sin. You heard the argument? A lot of people say that, you know, this, uh, this sin against the Holy Spirit, is it rejecting him as a person? Is it saying that, uh, no, no, I don't think it's God, the Holy Spirit, it's the presence and spirit of Christ. It's Christ's own person. Is that what it is? Not at all. Let me, let me read from a Spirit Prophets. The sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit does not lie in any sudden word or deed. It is the firm, determined resistance of truth and evidence. It's not rejecting God the Holy Spirit or saying something about the Trinity. It has nothing to do with that. It's resisting truth and evidence. We're sharing with you here this morning a lot of truth and evidence. How we respond to that determines whether we commit the unpardonable sin or not. Not whether you believe uh, the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit or not. No one need to look upon the sin against the Holy Ghost as something mysterious and indefinable. The sin against the Holy Ghost is the sin of persistent refusal to respond to the invitation to repent. Okay, that's, that's clear from Spirit Prophecy? So if anyone tells you, look, brother, you, the sister, be careful while you're saying this, you, you're committing the unpardonable sin, I've had people tell me that. You know, some people sadly, you know, it's like they use these fear tactics to scare you from something. That's not what that is about. So just be mindful of that. Here's what she goes on to say. Those who seek to remove the old landmarks, not holding fast, and not uh, holding fast, they are not remembering how they have received and heard. Those who try to bring in theories that would remove the pillars of our faith concerning the sanctuary or concerning the personality of God, and of Christ are working as blind men. They are seeking to bring in uncertainties and to set the people of God adrift without an anchor. Who was doing that? Kellogg. Especially on the point of the personality of God and of Christ. She says this is no less important than the sanctuary. And she refers to that as pillars of our faith. So Kellogg was playing with the pillars of our faith and changing that. And she says people who do that, they're not remembering how God has led us. Now the problem is today it has expanded; has gone way beyond what Kellogg was teaching. And we need to look at some of the pillars of our faith in this regard because now it's not only there's there's not only confusion about the Holy Spirit, but there's also confusion about the Son of God Himself. Let's look at the pillars of our faith in this regard, just quickly here. The Father. This is James White in January uh, 1881. The Father was greater than the Son in that He was first. The Son was equal with the Father in that He had received all things from the Father. That's, what the, that's what one of the pillars of our faith as far as understanding who God was. Now, it's interesting. A lot of people say that James White, uh, just before he died, he actually became Trinitarian. He died that year in 1881. This is what he believed up to the year that he died. He didn't become Trinitarian. This is what he believed about the Son of God, that the Son was truly begotten, that the Father is the source of all things, and Christ received all things from his Father. Here's another one. This is from Loughborough, in an article about objections to the Trinity, he it says, it's contrary to common sense, it's contrary to scripture, its origin is pagan and fabulous. It's not very consonant, means, meaning consistent, with common sense to talk of three being one and one being three, or as some expressing calling God the triune God, or the three one God. If Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are each God, it would be three gods, for three times one is not one, but three. That's what Kellogg was teaching, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That makes three gods. Now you can do all kinds of cartwheels trying to make the three into one. It still ends up three being three. No matter how many philosophical arguments you might come up with to make it fit into one, it's still three. Here's another one from uh, E.J. Wagner about the Son of God. The angels are sons of God as was well Adam by creation. Christians are the sons of God by adoption. But Christ is the Son of God by birth, and so Christ is the express image of the Father's person. This is in his book, Christ and his Righteousness in 1890. And the reason why I've color-coded it here is because I want to compare it with a statement written five years later by Mrs. White. In 1895, in Signs of the Times, she says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, not a Son by creation, as were the angels, nor a Son by adoption, as is the forgiven sinner, but a Son, begotten in the express image of the Father's person. Now, if you compare those two statements, they're saying the same thing. Now, a lot of people today, what Wagner said, they would have a problem with. Obviously, Mrs. White didn't. She basically quotes him five years later. And in this statement, she makes it very clear that there is a distinction between Christ being begotten and the angels who were created. See, a lot of people today, when we talk about Christ, they say, oh, you guys are saying begotten. That means created. According to Spirit Prophecy, it says they don't mean the same thing. So don't be confused over the issue. It's, it's, it's really simple. Creation and being begotten are two different things. Angels were created. Christ was begotten. To say or to suggest that he's cre- uh, created is to put him in the category of angels. That is heresy. He is begotten, not created. So this is, a, this is a warning that we need to be careful about. If you say Christ is begotten and created, that's the same thing. You are bearing false witness. It's against what we have here. Now you can mention that to people who will tell you that next time because that is such a common argument today. You've heard that. I'm sure you've heard that, right? People say, oh, you guys are saying Christ is created. That is not the case. I have never met anyone. All my travels, all the different camps, all the people I see, I have yet to meet one person who believes that Christ is created, I've never met them, and I think I, be, I speak on the behalf of everyone, we don't believe Christ is created, you can take that to the bank, okay, he's begotten, as it says right there, now here's another statement, again, just to look at the, at the foundation, because it helps us appreciate what's, what the issues are, this is uh, from the book, This Day with God. Angels were expelled from heaven because they would not work in harmony with God. They fell from their high state because they wanted to be exalted. They had come to exalt themselves and they forgot that their beauty of person and of character came from the Lord Jesus. This fact, the fallen angels would obscure that Christ was the only begotten Son of God and they came to consider that they were not to consult Christ. This is in heaven in the, during this whole controversy before Satan was even cast out. The issue of contention, according to this statement, was that the angels had a problem with the fact that Christ was the begotten Son. Right? It says this is a fact here. It doesn't say it's a title. It doesn't say it's a prophecy. It doesn't say it's a role play. It says it's a fact. Satan has a problem with the only begotten Son. He tries to hide that fact. Anyone who tries to hide the same fact today must be inspired by the same source, right? Now, that's a very serious statement. But it's a very serious thing to deny the Sonship of Christ. Very, very serious thing. That's what the war was about as far as this is concerned. So we need to ask the question, did the teach the Trinity or Tritheism? Tritheism is basically a variation of the Trinity. It's to believe in three gods. Some people believe that Trinity is. They say oh, no, it's only one God made of three persons. More or less, it's the same thing. They both deny the sonship of Christ. They both create another person called God, the Holy Spirit. Was White teaching that? Because that's what a lot of people believe today. Let's see. From eternity, there was complete unity between the Father and the Son. There were two, yet little short of being identical. Two in individuality, yet one in spirit and heart and character. Father and Son, but they are one in in spirit. Here's another one, Christ the Word, the only begotten of God, was one with the eternal Father, one in nature, in character, and in purpose. The only being in all the universe that could enter into all the counsels and purposes of God. There's no other being that can enter into the counsels of God. So what about God the Holy Spirit? Well, if he's a being, or another person like a lot of people believe, how does that work? He he can't enter into the counsels of God. Well, that's because there is no such being. There is no person called God the Holy Spirit. It's Christ and the Father and their personal presence. The Spirit or the Holy Spirit. Here is another one. The Father and the Son alone are to be exalted. If you exalt anyone else, is that dangerous? Very dangerous. So what what do we then do with God the Holy Spirit? He's God, but we can't exalt Him. Because it says only the Father and Son are exalted. But that would be an insult to God. Because if you believe He's God, you, you should exalt Him. See the problem here? A very, very serious problem. Here's again some more. God is the Father of Christ. Christ is the Son of God. To Christ has been given an exalted position. He has been made equal with the Father. All the counsels of God are opened to his Son. How many Trinitarians believe that? No one. No one believes that Christ has been given an exalted position of equality with the Father. He has that based on his divine birth because he is begotten of the Father. He has inherited that. But nobody believes that today, commonly. Ellen White believed it. And she puts it so simply, you know, God is the Father of Christ, Christ is the Son of God. You know, don't, she repeats herself. Don't, don't, don't get confused about it. It's that simple. Here is another one. The only being who was one with God, lived the law in humanity, descended to the lowly life of a common laborer, and toiled at the carpenter's bench, with his earthly parent. That's speaking about Christ, right? It says here Christ is the only being who is one with God. There's no one else who's one with God in the universe. So how does the God the Holy Spirit fit into that? It doesn't fit. That's why Ellen White said that, that my writings don't support that teaching. Here's another one. Let them be thankful to God for his manifold mercies and be kind to one another. They have one God and one Savior and one Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is to bring unity into their ranks. Here is the, the heavenly trio that a lot of people talk about. It's the Father, it's the Son, and it's the Spirit. The one Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. Christ not God, the Holy Spirit. That's the heavenly trio. You don't know, hear that statement a lot. People say, oh, well, Sister I said the heavenly trio. And that's another one they like to camp on. It's like there's a few statements people like to camp on because they like what they can make them say. And we ignore the rest of all these statements. So we need to be consistent. Here's a prophecy that, I'm gonna read the highlighted parts because I'm running out of time and I really wanna get to some important bits. This is a prophecy, the references are there so you can read them in your own time when you watch the video if you'd like and look at them in context. I want you to make sure you look at the context of every statement. We don't don't wanna be taking them out of context either. So that's important, that's why the references are there. Talks about the enemy of souls bringing in the supposition of a great reformation among Adventists and that this reformation would be giving up the doctrines which stand as the pillars of our faith, a new process of organization. And she says, what would be the result if this were to take place? The principles of truth that God in his wisdom gave us would be, would be discarded. Our religion would be changed. The fundamental principles that have sustained the work for the last 50 years will be accounted as error. A new organization will be established. Books of a new order will be written and God will be removed and the foundation will be built on the sand and storm and tempest will sweep away the structure." says, there is danger that the enemy is planning a change of the religion of Adventism, our religion. What's the easiest and quickest way to change a religion? Is <coughs> to change gods. If you change the god, you worship. You've just changed the religion. And if you want to make it deceptive, just keep calling it the same thing. That's exactly what happened. It says, this will be promoted in books of a new order. One of these books of a new order is the living... Temple contains the Alpha of these theories. I knew the Omega would follow in a little while, and I trembled for our people. Now we understand the warning about the Alpha. Now we can understand what the Omega is about. Some of these books of a new order that Mrs. White talked about are here. For example, this is The Coming of the Comforter by Leroy Froome, or Questions on Doctrine, or The Trinity. These books all contain the same teaching that Kellogg had revised. His living temple teaching too. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They use his same reasoning of using statements from serf prophecy, the third person of the Godhead, to support that teaching, the Trinity. Now, I don't have time now to go into every book and so show If you want to do that, you go right ahead. But you will find that it is a fulfillment of what Mrs. White said. It's a change that has come about in books of a new order. Here's just one sample from Leroy Froome, the author of that first book that we looked at. May I state that my book, The Coming of the Comforter, was the result of a series of studies that I gave in 27, 28, 1900s to ministerial institutes throughout North America. You cannot imagine how I was pummeled by some of the old timers because I pressed on the personality of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead. Some men denied that, still denied, but the book has come to be generally accepted as standard. And that's a letter in 1960. Mrs. White said, I saw that the Omega would follow, and I trembled for our people. Kellogg would have been very happy with this book. And that's exactly what Kellogg had said, and we read that earlier. He said, the whole issue boils down to, is the Holy Spirit a person? Mrs. White said, he's the third person of the Godhead. They match up. And this is the warning that we read earlier. The Alpha and the Omega of deadly heresies. Now, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. This warning, this prophecy has come about. It's been fulfilled. It's fulfilled in our days. That's why we have so much controversy and issues over this particular topic. It's because this confusion is coming, and most of us have not heeded the warning that has been given in the Alpha. I want to show you some samples of that today. If language means
1: anything, third person means third person. Are you with me on that? I mean, if if language has meaning, third as in one, two, three, okay, well, who would the first two be? God the Father, God the Son, and then now what? God God the Spirit, okay? So here we have third and then person. Is God the Father a person? Okay, is Jesus a person? So what's the Holy Spirit?
0: A person. Okay, the reason I'm putting some of these, I have nothing against the people who are saying this. I just want to show you examples of a fulfillment of that prophecy. That preachers and pastors today are teaching and preaching the same thing that Kellogg had come to conclude. You with me? Particularly over the issue that he said is the whole matter in the living temple. Is the Holy Spirit a person? And I'm not going to just quote one person, I want to show a a few samples so that we can see that that prophecy that Mrs. White gave is real. There is serious danger today. Here's another example.
1: Time and again, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you have this idea that you have one God, but you have three persons.
0: Same thing in Caligot come to believe, right? I don't need to comment much on this, it's if you understand the history. And you understand the background, it's easy to see, oh, something here, that, that
1: rings a bell. Let's
0: keep going, here's, here's another one.
1: Ellen White makes it clear that not only are the Father and the Son persons, she makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is a person, as does the Bible as well.
0: That's what Kelly was saying, that the Spirit is a person also, besides the Father and the Son. We saw what Ellen White said. We saw that the Spirit is the person of
1: who? Christ, not someone else. There's some things we should comprehend. That God is composed of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit.
0: <laughs> it sounds like who? Yeah, yeah but what's, what's that teaching sound like? It sounds like Kellogg. That's what right? so he said. He told Daniel, I now believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's my belief, and what I was trying to say, is that God the Father and God the Son are up there in heaven. And, and God the Spirit is, is this this essence, this person, that's just everywhere. That's what I was trying to teach. And this is where Mrs. White said that this is really the same thing. That's why he wanted to revise his book and republish it and include this thing. And and Mrs. White said, the writer has not changed. In other words, this teaching still houses pantheism, that God is in everything. You with me? You have this God being This non-tangible, non-physical God-being who is a person in his own right, it's not God's presence and personality. It's another God who is everywhere. That's the same problem. That's what Kellogg had come to believe. That's the problem we have today when it comes to a belief in the Trinity. It boils to the same thing. I'll just show you some samples and I think it'll be clear Mm -hmm. enough.
1: We sometimes mistakenly assume that personhood means physicality. Right? We, we think, oh, person, toes and feet and knees and legs and, and a body. No, 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 no. Personhood is not necessarily tied to physicality. I've had people actually say to me, well, David, that doesn't make any sense. How can the Holy Spirit be a person? The Holy Spirit's a spirit. I said, well, wait a minute. I didn't say the Holy Spirit was a human. I said the Holy Spirit was a person.
0: So we have a person that has no physicality. God, the Holy Spirit, not the Father, not the Son, another God being, another person.
1: And this great person, the third person of the Godhead, he intercedes and he groans. He feels things so deeply that he groans and moans. And the Bible says he has a mind. A mind that fills all space and all eternity.
0: A mind that fills all space. On, who's that? It's not the Father. It's not the Son. That's God in everything. Brothers and sisters, this is pantheistic. You with me? Can you see the connection here? That's exactly what Kellogg said I'm trying to say in my book. Ms. White says the writer has not changed. Let's uh, let's see if there's more, huh?
1: And the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He's a person, but he doesn't have a body. Not like us. The Holy Spirit is everywhere at once. He's on the other side of the universe, and he's here in church today.
0: It's pretty clear, right? We saw that Christ's spirit, his omnipresence is what the comforter, what the Holy Ghost is, not someone else. This is why it says, I trembled for our people when she saw this omega of deadly heresies. Now it's gone way beyond what Kellogg was teaching, brothers and sisters way beyond. It is so common today. That the tables have turned. What Kellogg was teaching at the time was the minority, him and his group. The majority of the church were okay. And so the warnings of Mrs. White saved the church from the error. But it came back. And when it came back, now it's so common and prevalent that the majority believe it, and only minority believe the truth that was believed by our church. And we try and say something about it. Everybody here freaks out and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Watch out. What are you saying? The Holy Spirit is is not a person like the Father and the Son? That's the unpardonable sin. And that belief leads to these conclusions, brothers and sisters. That's very, very dangerous. Here's some other examples. Here's the main website uh, of the church, the Trinity. And this this, uh, little video says there's three parts to God, but there's still just one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who would have said amen to this? Kellogg now it's published as a fundamental belief of the church it never used to be back in the days when Ellen White wrote her warnings to Keller Satan has been very successful brothers and sisters here's another one the Trinity God in three persons and you can if you have the time you can go read all the details now, this, this is very, very common today. This is very significant. This, is, this example should be quite clear.
1: Let me also indicate that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all participated in the literal creation of this world. They are the Godhead, three in one, and have existed since eternity, and will exist throughout eternity. They are omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipresent and everlasting three distinct eternal persons one god our almighty god that's a lot of people today they are saying
0: amen right brothers and sisters this is a very very serious tragedy that we're in it's scary that's right it's a very serious tragedy and i'm using a number of examples just to show you how common this is preachers and pastors and leaders they have great influence over people, and people believe what they hear. And this affects, not, this is not just a theory, and then you have a different view. This affects our worship, this affects our prayer, this affects our practical walk with the Lord. Who else worships the same thing? Rome does. The Catechism says the Trinity is one, we do not confess three gods, but one God in three persons is a consubstantial Trinity. This is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in the Trinity and the Trinity in unity without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance. The person of the Father is one. The Son is another. The Holy Spirit is another. But the God of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. One God, three persons. That's who they worship. We're not supposed to worship the same God as Rome. I thought that was like kindergarten level. That's, that's a given. But the devil has been so successful that today, most people have no problem with that. That's why I'm using these examples. That's why I'm do- doing this historical analysis. We can see for ourselves. No wonder Mrs. White said, I trembled for our people. It's no light thing to change gods. This is not some theological position you change. Changing gods changes your entire religion. Even if you call it the same thing, it's still different. Now a lot of people have said the omega of apostasy is this, is that, it's a new theology, it's the music, it's the standards, you've you've heard that? Whatever favorite heresy they don't like, they say that's the omega of apostasy. But the omega has to do with the alpha, they're linked, and Mrs. White identifies clearly what it is. Now we're we're pretty much finished, so we just have like four or five more minutes, is that all right? You still with me? Okay, good. I just want to read this because this is very significant. Uh, This is from her diary in 1904, the same period that Kellogg and this whole stuff was going on. We are now to be on guard and not drawn away from the all-important message given of uh, of God for this time. Satan is not ignorant of the result of trying to define God and Jesus Christ in spiritualistic way that sets God and Christ as a non-entity. That's what Kellogg did in his book. He later modified that. The the moments occupied (coughs) In this kind of science are in, the place, are in the place of preparing the way of the Lord, making a way for Satan to come in and confuse the minds with mysticism of his own devising. Although they are dressed up in angel robes, they have made our God and our Christ a non-entity. Why? Because Satan sees the minds are all fitted for his working. Men have lost track of Christ and the Lord God and have been obtaining an experience that is Omega to one of the most subtle delusions that will ever captivate the minds of men. We are forbidden to set the imagination in a train of conjecture. That's what Kellogg was doing, conjecturing. Now he modified that and said, no, no, no. Well, okay, God is a person. Christ is a person they're in heaven, but the spirit is this other person called God, the Holy Spirit. Mrs. White says, this is mysticism. It hasn't changed. The writer has not changed. It still essentially destroys God and Christ. I want to tell you something. Today, when it says here, uh, defining God in a spiritualistic way—that is not to take. It means it, it doesn't mean uh, spiritualism on communing with the dead. This is when you spiritualize something that God wants you to take literally. For example, when when Jesus was support- uh, people believed that Jesus was going to come in 1844 and he didn't, and then people said, "Well, you know what? He came. We just can't see him." So they've spiritualized something. Are you with me? Today, what's happening is. A lot of people have spiritualized the fact that God is the Father of Christ and that Christ is the begotten Son of God. They say this is not real, this is just... you with me? In other words, the Father is not really truly a Father. The begotten Son is not really truly a begotten Son. You've spiritualized that relationship. It's not real, it's not literal, it's spiritualized. It amounts to the same thing. And Mrs. White says the impact of these things that which was happening in the Kellogg's days, she says it affects what? The experience of people. And she says this effect, you can obtain an experience that is omega to one of the most subtle delusions, this deadly heresy. In other words, this belief is going to impact your walk and affect your experience. When you understand God this way, or when you misunderstand God like that, it will impact your experience resulting in this omega. You with me? That's what she's saying. Today, brothers and sisters, this is what's happening. We've taken it beyond, way beyond what Kellogg has done. Now this is recognized by everyone, that your concept of God will impact your worship, your prayer, and your walk with him. I'll give you a sample of that, and this is a very true statement. Now, why
1: is this all important? Your worship of God, your trust in God, your acceptance of God is going to be influenced by your concept of God. Having a wrong concept of God is going to corrupt or affect or influence how you view Him as Savior. If you don't know who He is, if you don't have a basic concept of who God is, you can't really give Him the worship that is due His name. That is very true.
0: Your concept of God will affect your worship and your response to God. If you're wrong, it will affect your. Now, brothers and sisters, the issue of controversy in the last days is over worship. You understand now why Satan's causing all this confusion, why Mrs. White wrote all these warnings, why Satan tried time and again to bring in the same heresy into the church, and today he's got the majority, as we have seen. This is why Mrs. White says, be not deceived, many will depart from the faith, giving him to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We have now before us the alpha of this danger, the omega will be of a most startling nature, where it will affect your experience as a result of your false ideas about God. I wanna give you just in closing, some startling examples of a fulfillment of this prophecy. I was startled when I heard some of these things, and I don't think they're gonna need any comment. I think you're gonna be startled as well. That's the next logical level of what Kellogg was teaching.
1: Now why is the doctrine of the Trinity important? First of all, it's comforting to know that we we don't have only one almighty power working in our behalf. We not only have two, but we have three that are working with the utmost of power to gain the victory in the lives of God's people in this world. So why stop at three? If three is better than one,
0: then maybe seven is even better. That's the perfect number, isn't it? Now think about that for a minute. If one Almighty is not good enough, you need two more, then you've just destroyed the whole meaning of what Almighty is. God the Father is not good enough. This is the conclusion that you have to come to when you believe some of these things. You with me? This is sad, brothers and sisters. a lot of these people are doing a lot of good work. But the concept of God that is being taught affects the worship of people. Let's look at another one.
2: When's the last time you prayed, dear Jesus? Probably today. When's the last time you said, our Father? Eh, Within a day. When's the last time you said, dear Holy Spirit? I've got a prayer for you today. I know you're the one that's working on this earth right now. I know you're the one in control. I know you're the one bringing power, bringing knowledge, bringing wisdom, bringing comfort, bringing peace. I know you're the one that's right here, interactive with us right now. You are God, God the Spirit. I wanna talk to you right now because there's something I need to have done right here in my my own life, in my own community. I, I need to partner with you on this. When's the last time you said, Dear Holy Spirit, and said a prayer? This is the logical
0: conclusion. Of a false idea of God. It will affect your experience. It will affect your worship. It will affect your prayer. This is pastors and preachers. Who stand up as examples. People follow these examples. This is a result of the teaching. That you believe God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Of course. if If the Spirit is God. Of course. Why don't you pray to him? That's a very logical. Good question. You see where there is danger now? A false idea about God doesn't just. It's not just, oh, well, we'll, well, God will sort it out when we get to heaven. No, you're going to respond to that here on earth. And this man is at least consistent. He practices what he preaches.
2: Let's pray. God, today, we, we, we love you and we love Jesus. But uh, we want you to listen into a conversation we're going to have today. Because actually... Uh, we want to talk to the Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Spirit, we just, first of all, want to apologize for ignoring you so much. I, I know I know it frustrates you at times that uh, we act as if we're all alone and that Jesus and God the Father are way up in heaven and they're so distant, but we know that you're here. We know that you came and we know that you were sent by God the Father and God the Son and that you have come to bring us bring us joy and peace and comfort and truth. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'll fill each of our hearts. Make us spiritual right now. And I just pray this all in your precious name of Jesus. Amen.
0: This uh, was presented in Loma Linda Church. Yes. I guess a lot of people would have been listening. I wonder if some of these people took his advice when they went home. Uh, this is a pastor by the name of Roy Ice. Uh, Who it is and who the person is doesn't matter as much. These are preachers and pastors. The reason why I'm saying that is these people, I'm sure, are doing a lot of good work in a lot of other areas. But the omega of heresies, this deadly heresy, has come in and has become common. We're seeing now how it's affecting the experience and the practice of us as a people. This is a very, very serious thing. This is not the only occurrence. When people say, oh, this is a, a standalone occurrence. There's other examples.
1: Let us call upon God. Oh, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, how easy it is for us to talk about you in the third person. God is good. So, dear God, here we go. You are Holy Father. You are Holy Christ. You are Holy Spirit. As we plunge into Holy Scripture, we listen for your voice. Teach us. Dear God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you have emptied your throne.
0: We were told the Father and the Son alone are to be exalted, right? Any prayer and worship and praise outside of the Father and the Son, where do you think that's going to go? There is one other being in the universe who wants to be worshipped. And he doesn't care what name you might call him. So long as he gets some worship besides the father and the son. Brothers and sisters, I know what I'm saying is very, very serious. It's very serious. That's why, hopefully, we have given enough weight of evidence to show the danger that we are in. We're at the very, very end. There are so many people who need to wake up, to realize what is happening. I'll just close with this warning from the spirit of prophecy. It says, it is God's plan to give sufficient evidence of the divine character of his work to convince all who honestly desire to know the truth. But he never removes all opportunity for doubt. All who desire to question and cavil will find occasion. I think we've shared enough weight of evidence today to show the issues and where the truth lies and where the error is. I'm sure there is questions, I'm sure we haven't answered every single query in people's minds, but I think there is enough weight of evidence. And it says here: people who want to hold on to one thing or two things and question and cavil, they can do that. People want to camp on one particular statement, they're not gonna move, they can do that. But if you truly desire to know the truth, then you will find it. That's God's promise. Let's close with a word of prayer. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.